Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's another beautiful day for baseball in Los Angeles. And baseball podcast. Josh Schaefer and Blake Harris cover everything Dodgers right here on Inside the Ravine. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Inside the Ravine. Joining me, as always, from the Ontario Rain headquarters, rocking a different, uh, you know, a different little fit today, Josh. We don't have an Ontario Rain jacket on. I guess once the season ends, that's all that. Summer baseball is officially here, which means it is time for Chatham Angler Baseball, proudly displayed. So, uh... How how does it feel rocking that? When when is the season start? Have they kicked off yet? The se- the season has already started. Uh, their opening night game got delayed because of rain. So the next day they played, and the game was like three hours and forty minutes long with a pitch clock. The final score was like eleven to twelve, a walk off on opening night. So that's cool. Um, but but Blake, what's what's really fun is um, at this time on, on at this exact time. One week from today, I will not be in Chatham, but I will be in Boston, so that's cool. And then by this time, a week and one day from right now, I will be uh, actually getting ready for the Chatham Anglers Falmouth Commodores game at Veterans Field in Chatham. So we get to go see where 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 Michael Bush was just uh, an absolute fiend on the field. We get to see where where uh, where Kyle Hurt where his stomping grounds once were Dodger fans probably don't know that name yet, but he's around. He's a pitcher. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going up there for, for a little bit and uh, it should be fun. There's probably like an entire, I mean, most of the guys on the Dodgers roster were probably in the Cape Cod league, but Josh is just not going to mention any of them because none of them are important. The only ones that are important are the ones that he got to see at Shadow when he was there. So again, every Dodger player has likely stepped foot on this field that Josh is going to, but the only two that matter are Michael Bush and Kyle Hurt. So there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Corey Seager's brother Kyle Seager. There you he go. Was, uh, he was a Chatham. See, I'm trying to think. Like, um, 
remember Tim Fedorovich? Oh, Him. of course. Him. Goat. Um, yeah, like in, in terms of actual dot, like Rich Hill was a big one. Um, Rich Hill was really good when he was up there. But like, that's the thing. Like, there's so many guys who actually came through Chatham, but um, but not many like big time Dodgers, at least to my knowledge. So so that's kind of a disappointing one. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, I mean, but there's still some big name players that we saw. So, so last night, Andrew Vaughn, um, Andrew Vaughn was a guy that, uh, hit a grand slam against us. My first game there, uh, really put the game away in the ninth inning. And that's how we knew, Hey, don't pitch to Andrew Vaughn anymore. And what's funny is he played like three games until he left for team USA and never came back, but he really just <laughs> had to get in a grand slam against us and then bailed. Well, I think Josh has pretty much answered what my trivia question is going to be later in the show is of uh, this up-and-coming Dodgers prospect was a Chatham angler. Maybe he'll shock us and he'll say yes, but I feel like the answer is going to be no. So before we get to that and all the all the fun stuff to talk about in today's episode, make sure you guys follow the show on whatever social media app you guys use. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search Inside the Ravine. You guys can watch the full episodes over on YouTube if that's your preference. You guys can also listen to the episode wherever you get your podcast. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple, and we are also on the Odyssey app because Inside the Ravine is brought to you by Odyssey Sports. All right, Josh, a lot to get to in today's episode. We haven't recorded in about a week. We're not even going to touch up on the Philly series. We're, we're just going to pretend like that didn't happen. Not going to touch Sounds up good. on the Reds. Not going to touch up on the Red series. Pretend like that didn't happen. We can though talk about the White Sox series because for the first time in essentially forever, the Dodgers actually won a series. I believe this was their first series victory since they played the Nationals. So it's been a while since the Dodgers won a series. Didn't look like it was going to go that way. Last night, it looked like the Dodgers, they were down 4 nothing through you know the halfway point of the game. It looked like they were going to lose yet another series, but they came through. So, Josh, I quickly just want to talk about last night's game because, you know, the night before, a disaster in regards to the bullpen. They blew yet another game. It was horrible. Yesterday, Michael Grove goes. He allows four runs, I think, in five innings. His third straight start allowing four runs. Things were looking bleak. And then with the bases loaded, Chris Taylor comes up to the plate with two outs and insert Moneyball music because he hit a game-tying Grand Slam. And honestly, not to be dramatic, Josh, but it really feels like that Chris Taylor Grand Slam might have been maybe one of the biggest moments of the young season up until this point. Yeah, it was. And you know what? This game, I think, was obviously not the prettiest game from the Dodgers, but I think this was a really important win because this is a this is a kind of win we hadn't seen from them really since what? I mean, it was the, it was the 12 inning other, uh, the Trace Thompson walk-off walk game. Um, and, and obviously that was a while ago too, against the twins. Like that was back in, that was May, Middle May I think 15th. Like, so it's the first kind of win the Dodgers have had like that in, in about a month. Um, and it helped secure their first series win in, in two weeks. Um, so they had lost three straight series until this point. So what I think is super important about this game is obviously it's not the prettiest game. I will say it's a pretty even game, I think, because both teams, I mean, the Dodgers had the walk-off hit from Freddie Freeman, but up until that point, it was four runs on eight hits, no errors, and a handful of guys left on base for both teams. Not many timely hits for the Dodgers other than obviously the walk-off and the grand slam to tie it, which is kind of what you want, right? But, um, this was kind of a weird little grinded out game. You know, you tie the game with one swing. You had a couple of hits here and there. You've got some guys that were having some tough, you know, 0 for 5, 4 strikeout nights like Jason Hayward. But then the bullpen comes in here after 
a pretty tough start from Michael Grove to say the least. I mean, four hits or uh, seven hits, four earned runs and what they were all solo home runs. Um, so it's kind of tough. It, it wasn't a great outing for Michael Grove, but then the bullpen comes in and just kicks into gear and the bullpen in the final, what, two, three, four, five in the final six innings gives up one hit. And the only hit allowed was Shelby Miller, who was the first guy to come out of the bullpen. Um, so, I mean, just really impressive stuff from the Dodgers pen last night, four strikeouts from Evan Phillips, a, a couple of timely strikeouts, uh, one big timely strikeout from, from Caleb Ferguson. And it was just the kind of bullpen outing that we haven't seen from the Dodgers in a while. And again, we keep talking about this. I said this on our last show, the Dodgers offense is good enough, right? This is an offense that is good enough to win the division. It's good enough to go on a playoff run. People might disagree. I I really think that this is an offense that is good enough because you have your bad nights where you don't hit with runners in scoring position for the Dodgers last year in the playoffs. That was the whole postseason series which is which can't happen but the fact of the matter is like your offense is going to have its bad nights the problem is when your bullpen is bad every single night you don't give your offense time and that's what the Dodgers bullpen did last night was they gave the offense time to get some timely hits and ultimately win the game because it's not like it was one home run that left the yard in the 11th inning it was patience at the plate you know getting the bases loaded with no outs and then the big hit from from Freddie Freeman to win it. The, the grand slam from, from Chris Taylor, like the Dodgers offense eventually got it done solely because they had the time to do so. And the bullpen was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of like break down the game in a couple different parts. And the fact that there were so many moments where it is like a massive win for the Dodgers. Obviously, like I said, you have the Chris Taylor grand slam, which ties the game, I believe in the sixth inning, I want to say, but that was again, where we've, you know, seen the Dodgers this season, their offense is great because they hit a bunch of home runs. I, I think we talked about this in like the last episode where they're the most heavily relied upon the home run team in all of baseball. I think like 52% of their runs come via the home run. But in that inning, it was just guys getting singles, getting singles, getting on base. And then Chris Taylor hits the grand slam. And then like you said, the bullpen comes in, they combined for, I think you said six combined scoreless innings. One hit was, you know, allowed by Shelby Miller, which might've been like the first inning of work that he had. So the hitters went like 0 for 15, 0 for 16 to end the game. And then like you said, the Freddie Freeman walk-off, which the walk-off hit was great, but it's the fact that they loaded the bases. They worked, you know, each count. I think Mookie Betts had like a 13 pitch at bat, I want to say right before Freddie Freeman. Josh, I know because the game went kind of late. Did you see this Freddie Freeman walk-off hit and what exactly yes. happened? Because I'm I'm watching the game with my girlfriend. We're just like, okay, like, come on, let's end the game. And Freddie Freeman hits it. And I believe it was Luis Robert who was playing center field. And he's just insanely shallow. I'm thinking, dang it, Freddie, you just hit like a routine pop fly. Like, this is not going to get the runner in from third. Because he's like maybe 15, 20 feet off the dirt. And he all of a sudden kind of just stops. And then I think even Joe Davis, I, I had to go back and listen to the call. Maybe Joe Davis was maybe thrown off. Maybe he actually wasn't. I just wasn't paying attention. But then you just see the ball land on the warning track. And I was like, oh, oh okay, this was almost a grand slam. Yeah, what, like a, what a change of emotions. Yeah. What a change of emotions. Like I said, I thought it was a routine, just fly out. He didn't do his job. And it's like, oh, no, he just missed hitting a grand slam. I mean, I guess, like, why bother if you're Luis Robert? Like, why bother sprinting to try to catch it, 
you know, at the warning track when it's not going to make a difference. Even though I think it was last week in Cincinnati, I forget which game it was when they got walked off. I think it might have been Jason Hayward in center field where he just like hauled to the center field wall and tried catching the ball. Like they would have lost anyway, but he tried making an attempt on the catch to just make sure Shelby Miller didn't allow a hit. He didn't get it. But yeah, I, I thought this was a routine fly out and it was almost a grand slam. So I thought that was kind of, you know, funny. I thought it was a little interesting, but hey, you get all kinds of walk-offs. And I will say, Josh, I am grateful that it was that because walking off is fine and all. It's fun and all. But a, I don't know how you feel about this. A walk-off walk is just boring to me. Like, I was it's at just, that Twins game. It's so yeah. lame. It's just like, yeah, you celebrate and you kind of whatever, but at least a walk-off hit. Even this one, I think because like the bases were loaded, he hit it far enough anyway. They were kind of like, you know, celebrating whatever. But I was like, at least get a walk-off hit or something. Do not get a walk-off walk because like you said, when Trace walked it off with the walk, it's just a little boring. Just a tad. Yeah, I will, I will say um... – I mean, I think that's a hit either way. Like, even if even if Robert goes after it, it's a hit. There's no he's playing in. Like, there's just no way that that he's going to get to this ball in time. If there's one out, hell, if there's two, it, obviously if there's two outs, if there's one out, you might even go after it because at this point, maybe you're not going to get who it was. What it was Hayward on third, right, or was it Chris Taylor on third? I I think it might have been Hayward on third to start. So either way, either way, like you're not getting that guy throwing home. There's no way you'd have to have the most unbelievable arm ever to make that throw from from center field. But the thing is, is and it's still a stretch. If there's one out, you can get all the way back to the wall and you make that catch and then throw it back into like second base, even. But at that point, who's even going to be trying to tag at that point? Like, there's no point in going after it. So I just don't think he gets there anyway. But it was funny because watching it, it seemed like it was drilled, just like absolutely crushed. But then when you don't see a move for it, my first thought is, is this a pop out? And then my next thought is, oh, like you can tell he's like walking off the field. Like the game, like it was far enough. But I wonder what it looked like in person because I almost tweeted from our inside the the Ravine account, like that did not play for television because again, wasn't there, but I feel like the crowd knew, like the crowd knew that it was well over Luis Roberts head, but on TV, just the camera angles are like, uh, and I haven't heard Charlie's call on radio last night, but I would very much like to hear it. Yeah. There was one the other night. It might've been the ESPN game where Miguel Rojas hit like a fly out to left field and the cameraman just like moved, panned the camera up as if this thing was headed to the parking lot. And then you're thinking, holy crap, he just hit the hell out of it. This thing's leaving Dodger Stadium. And then the camera just comes down. It's just the left fielder just posted up like 15 feet in front of the left field fence. Josh, one thing I saw on Twitter, I wanted to share this because this is absolutely incredible. There's some guy out there. Surprisingly, it's not me. I'm I'm not this big of a degenerate. But someone out there did a same-game parlay for the game last night. Dylan Cease, nine or more strikeouts. Mookie Betts to record a hit. Jake Berger to record a hit. Luis Robert to record a hit. Michael Grove, four strikeouts. All this guy needed for his final leg was a Freddie Freeman base hit in which he got at the very end. And it was a $10 bet that turned into just under $800 because Luis Robert decided to to just walk it off. So imagine you win a bet like that. That is that is because you think like you're, you're you know you're sitting on the edge of your seat probably for multiple reasons uh, yeah. and then this ball gets drilled and you celebrate and then you're like wait <laughs> oh wait but, a second 
You think yeah. it's a routine flyout? <laughs> I'll say this. Who knows? I'll say this. The camera work, I mean, I, the camera work on this home run was just tough because it kind of looked like a pop out. But the camera work on the on the Chris Taylor game time home grand, game time grand slam, unbelievable. There is nothing sexier than camera work on a home like a than good camera work on a home run because if you're panning all up and it's like a, a wall scraper, you're like, all right, like. But then if you're panning up and you can follow the thing just 20 rows into the seats in the left field pavilion. I'm like, damn, that cameraman knew exactly where that ball was going. And obviously you and I are not professional cameramen, but we did take that wonderful class with Mr. Carl Lemon. And I'm pretty sure you and I had no idea how to follow. Like, I was just going to say, Josh, this is how do you know someone went to a, a sports journalism program because we're talking about camera work. Yes, the great Carl Lemon. I think one of our buddies, Josh, was a huge fan of Carl Lemon. Yes. Really loved the guy. He talked very highly of his family and wanting to visit his house and, you know, have a nice meal there with the family. But, yeah, we, we were taught a lot of things in that class. I'm pretty sure we were taught camera work. Could we apply it all that these was, years like, later? That was the entire class. We yeah. were absolutely <laughs> taught that. That was what the class was about. Yeah, so, hey, there you go. Maybe Carl Lemon out there was watching and saying, you know, they, they did a hell of a job panning up towards that one. So I thought that was a fun moment because, again, I, I I thought it was a flyout. They got me. I'd been had. I also liked on the Chris Taylor Grand Slam, even Joe Davis knew immediately. He's like game-tying Grand Slam as the ball is like hasn't even gone over the left fielder's head yet. And I'm like, I don't know, Joe. And I'm like, uh, and then it eventually made it way through. He's like, no, I'm calling it a game-tying Grand Slam like the second that's it why, left the bat. That's why my, my broadcaster perspective when I was doing baseball all the time was you watch the outfielder, not the baseball. So I'll take my first glance at the ball and then I watch the outfielder to know. Cause if he's making a beeline for the wall, he's got to play on it. Like he, the outfielder knows if he, if he's watching it, it's gone. Like that's an easy, easy tell is don't watch the ball, watch the outfielder. And, and Joe's obviously the best in the business. So um, he was confident in it and called it well, but you're it right. Reminded- he did call it like, probably three seconds before the ball landed in the pavilion. It, it reminded me of the Jock Peterson walk-off home run from a couple years ago where, like, Jock hit one. He, like, then turned to the dugout, pounded his chest, flipped his bat, and the ball ended up, like, just barely scraping over the wall and was almost just, like, a fly-out. Right. And I'm thinking, yeah. you just never know. You just never know when you're watching the Dodgers game at night. But what, I just want to give, again, Josh Josh pretty much touched up on it, but I got to give it a shout-out, though, just to the bullpen. Just because, again, Josh, the night before, the whole season before, they've just been so bad. They've been so bad. Uh, they they stepped up. I mean, Shelby Miller, two scoreless innings. Yancy Almonte tossed a scoreless inning with two strikeouts after, you know, the night before, allowing a couple of runs. Evan Phillips comes in for two scoreless innings, is absolutely filthy, four strikeouts. Caleb Ferguson comes out. He's been really struggling as of late. He tosses a scoreless inning. This is the bullpen that we expected at the beginning of the season, not the one that's been historically bad. Josh, I don't know if you saw this the other night. It might have changed because of yesterday's dominance, but after, what, Wednesday's game, when the Dodgers allowed, I think, six runs and two innings, they had a collective bullpen ERA of 4.90, which, if the season would have ended that night, would be the worst since the team moved to Los Angeles. That's how bad the bullpen has been. (laughs) But now, because of last night, we might be the second or third to worst. So we're moving up. They're in the clear. We're, we're, we're moving, baby. Third worst ever. Next week, fifth worst. Progressively mm. climb. Progressively climb. So, yeah. Dominant showing from the bullpen last night. That was fantastic. But, Josh, 
Uh, I was getting a little concerned last night because the talk around town was the fact that tonight, Friday, was going to be a bullpen game. So the Dodgers use, what, five guys out of the bullpen. The bullpen is completely taxed. They're going to do a bullpen game on Friday. At least so we thought. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new guy who is going to be preventing the bullpen game. A guy you might want to remember for the future moving forward. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Josh, we are back. And this is a fun one because, as I mentioned we all thought it was going to be a bullpen game today. That was the plan. And I guess this news broke at about 2 a.m. So if anyone was up at 2 a.m., they saw this right away. But for a lot of us, this is the news we woke up to. And that's that the Dodgers, again, according to reports, it hasn't been officially announced yet, are going to be calling up pitcher Emmett Sheehan from A. Now, Josh, here's a fun trivia fact for you. In the Andrew Friedman era, they've only called up one player previously with no AAA experience. It's in the Andrew Friedman Dodgers era, and it's in recent memory. Would you like to take a crack as to who the lone player was that they called up from AA that completely bypassed AAA? And if you need I another believe, hint, I can give it to you. I, I believe I, I already know who this is, um, and it was last night's starting pitcher, Michael Grove. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. Someone uh, knows their stuff, or they saw a nice little factoid on Twitter. But yeah, that's right. It's only... now. Josh, help me out with this. I want to know if this is a technicality. So Michael Grove, or not Michael Grove, uh, Emmett Sheehan, he pitched in AA this year, was fantastic. However, last week, he got promoted to AAA. But yeah. he never appeared in a game in AAA. So technically, they are calling him up from AAA, but he never appeared in a game. So he still technically qualifies in this Michael Grove little uh, Hall of Fame section here. Yes. So, and the reason why is, is they're... From from my understanding, there's no never or he's getting called up straight from double A. Like, sure. What is more impressive is if you have never even pitched in triple A. So yes, they're calling him up from Oklahoma City, but you're right. He got called up to OKC last week to play for the OKC Dodgers from Tulsa, but has not pitched a single game in triple A. What he's done in double A this year is nothing short of incredible. He has been absolutely bonkers with the drillers this year he is currently leading the the texas league with a 186 era uh he's also leading the texas league with 88 strikeouts an opposing batting average against at 131 and a whip at 0.88 now what's actually funny is if emmett sheehan didn't exist or was having a slightly less awesome season the person who would lead all of those categories is also Tulsa pitcher Landon Knack, who's second in the league with a 2.20 ERA. He's also second in the league with a .94 WHIP, and he's second in the league with a point or, or with a 2.02 batting average against. 
And then in strikeouts, he's like still up there, but not like all the way up there. Actually, Kyle Hurts up there. We talked about him earlier. But like that's how good the Dodgers affiliates have been this year, especially pitching. Side note, OKC, I don't know if you have, you know, I've talked about this, but OKC's got like some absurd record this year. They're like 45 and 15. Nobody else is even close. But that's what Emmett Sheehan has done this year is you look at the guys who are like second and third in all those categories in the Texas League and they're having insane seasons. Well, Emmett Sheehan has been even better than them. And an ERA at 186 through 53 and a third innings of work is remarkable for a 23 year old in double A. Never pitched an inning, never thrown a baseball in AAA, and we'll see what he can bring. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are absolutely insane. He's been lighting up the Texas League. Josh, you mentioned the numbers, but on the season, he's striking out 42% of the hitters he faces. So nearly <laughs> nearly half the guys that come up, he's striking out. If you take his average and put it over the course of nine innings, he's averaging 15 strikeouts per nine innings, which again is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he was named the Texas Pitcher League of the Month in May. Josh, he made four starts, pitched twenty two or pitched twenty five innings, allowed only one run, struck out forty four percent of the batters he faced, and opponents hit o ninety eight off of him. So yeah, it's it, it's like insane. It's like all the numbers that he's Gavin been Stone he's was been posting. Like actually, he's been better. Yeah, it's yeah. It's remarkable, and the crazy thing is, too, is, you know, as this was happening last night when there was kind of rumors about the Dodgers potentially calling someone up, I think myself and everyone included thought they're going to call up someone in AAA. Like, I think Matt Andrees has been a journeyman who's been okay this year. He's like a 33-year-old pitcher. Okay, call him up, then DFA him, or maybe like an Andre Jackson, someone like that, because I think Dave already said Gavin Stone's out of the equation. And I know we were texting about this this morning, Josh, and I said, I, I think Andrew Freeman last night when using his burner Twitter account saw my tweet in which I said, yesterday I said to promote the entire Tulsa Drillers pitching staff to AAA and get them reps ASAP. But at this point, I think calling them up now would be a better option than what the Dodgers are throwing out there. And like what you said in our exchange this morning, he saw your tweet and was like, I can't get flamed by this schmuck. <laughs> and I think that's spot on because this is a very, I mean, I, I was blown away by this because the Dodgers, they don't do this. They don't call up guys in the minors that are lighting it up. Maybe if they're in AAA or if they're close, but they don't go. I mean, obviously they don't go to double A and get guys like this. So I was blown away that they're actually going with the move. Um, you know, they have a spot open on the 40 man roster. So they're going to call him up and for Emmett Sheehan. He has a runway here because Julio Urias, you know, he's still probably going to miss at least a couple of weeks. Noah Syndergaard, he's on the IL whenever he returns. We don't know. Michael Grove has made three starts since coming back from the IL, and he's allowed four runs in every start. I believe his ERA is still above eight. So Emmett Sheehan, I think at this point, Clayton Kershaw, Bobby Miller, and Tony Gonsolin, those are the only three guys that have guaranteed spots in the starting rotation. If Emmett Sheehan lives up to the potential and lives up to the hype that what we've been seeing this year in Double A, there's a chance he could lock up a spot in the starting rotation. And it just goes to show, Josh, this youth movement that they talked about all offseason, it's coming true because I think he'll make officially, I wrote this down somewhere, I want to say the sixth rookie that will make his debut at some point this year. I mean, we got what? Michael Bush made his debut, Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, Nick Robertson, Emmett Sheehan, and then I feel like I miss oh, Johnny DeLuca, who made his debut last week. So yeah, six rookies making their debut two months into the season. And again, the Dodgers, they might have to rely on some of these rookies a little more than they were expecting to. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to temper the expectations a little bit, at least for now. Yes, he's been absolutely incredible. Um, you look back at what he had done in his career up until this point, even looking back to his time in college at Boston College. And look, look like he didn't get to see a ton of action at BC, especially because he, he was there during the COVID year, you know, the next year. Um, they actually had some pretty good prospects on that team. Like that was a South Fralick team for for you know, people who are way into the draft, but his numbers back in college um, at BC, like weren't incredible, but he was drafted in the sixth round. So still pretty high. Um, And then since he's been going through the minors, like you've just seen the progression. Now, again, he has been remarkable in the Texas league because, and look, he's young, he's only 23 years old, but this is also, (laughs) this is also a league right now where he is out pitching guys like, Jack Leiter, Jackson Wolf, Emerson Hancock. Like he's outperforming all of these guys, like by a pretty wide margin right now. So yes, the the talent level is first of all, it's good in the Texas League. It's a little bit less than it is in AAA, obviously, and it's a lot less than it is in the big leagues. But same thing with Bobby Miller, who again, again, Blake, and we've talked about this before. The Dodgers said he was not ready. And he has been the Dodgers' best pitcher since. Yeah, I, th- I think they were a little off on that. They were a tad yeah. off when they said he's not ready. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's done um, through, obviously, just a couple games, small sample size. So I'm interested to see what em- Emerson, uh, with what, what Emmett Sheehan's, um, uh, you know, how long the leash is going to be because the Dodgers need him to eat a couple of innings. I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing I did with Bobby Miller. Like, I want to temper the expectations. I want to see how long the leash is. But if you can get four good innings out of him, I think that's good for now, right? Like, that's all you need at this point. Um, so hopefully your bullpen can help him out a little bit after he's done. But, it, you know, if he if he is going to stick around for a little bit, would love to see that. And obviously wishing him the best because the ceiling right now is incredibly high for Emmett Sheehan. Yeah, so I looked it up. He only has 137 innings in his minor league career. Like, not this season. Like, in his minor league career, only 137. He's gone up the system really quickly, like you said. Was a six-rounder just a couple years ago. I crunched the numbers also as well. So he's appeared in 12 games this year. Has made 10 starts. I believe he had two outings where he, like, came out of the bullpen in the second or third inning. And based on my calculations, he averages four and a half innings per outing. So... Usually he's going for maybe five. And again, I, I don't think the Dodgers are expecting him to come up and be Bobby Miller and go, you know, six innings, something like that. If he can give them four innings and limit the damage, I think they'll take that, you know, instantly. And Josh, I'm looking up his numbers and it's actually insane because at Boston College, I mean, I, I guess the reason he was drafted so high was because of his strikeout rate. I mean, he was striking out 13, 14 guys per nine innings, but his freshman year, 4.50 ERA, sophomore year, 8.16 ERA, and then his junior year, 4.23 ERA. So it's not like he was an absolute stud at Boston College. He's just kind of developed, turned into his own. And unfortunately, my trivia question is going to go absolutely nowhere, Josh, because not only yeah. did Emmett Sheehan not even play for the Chatham Anglers, the dude never even went to the Cape. Well, that's what's interesting is because he like uh, the leagues that he was in. First, he was in the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, which is it's a college league. Is that sounds is. worse than the uh, like Southern California Collegiate Baseball League, <laughs> like that, like Home the future, 
Yeah, the team that we work for doesn't exist anymore. Well, one of the teams we work for doesn't exist anymore. The other one's still kicking, but they're in a different league now, I guess. <laughs> but but yeah, he was in the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. And then in 2019, he went to the Dan uh, the Danbury Westerners in the New England Collegiate Baseball League, which I've got a connection to them too. Like my broadcast partner for two years on Cape Cod had previously worked um, for the Westerners. But um, the NECBL is kind of like, like diet Cape Cod almost like it's still in new England. It's like in those States all in new England. It's just not out on Cape Cod. Um, but like good prospects have played there. Like guys that we covered at ASU had gone there first and then gone to the Cape league. So like good league, you're still getting scouts around there. And then he went back to the futures league again. So obviously you're still getting scouts at those leagues, but not even close to how many would come to a random Tuesday night game, you know, in the Cape league. But again, like, He played at Boston College with Sal Fralick, who was a first-round pick, who was being heavily scouted um, while Emmett Sheehan was there. So suddenly Emmett Sheehan shows that he can have a pretty high ceiling, and he's got that strikeout rate up. He's got the tools that make him look appealing to scouts. And that's why, to me, that's why he gets drafted so high is because it's kind of the same – it's the same kind of thing like you see pretty frequently. Like, wow, this guy, like, wasn't an incredibly huge name or anything like that. Um, but he has all of the tools to be successful if you find somebody that can fine-tune those things a little bit. And obviously it seems like that's that's been successful in the Dodgers organization because you use a sixth-round pick on him. And so far, I mean, again, not a ton of innings, only, what, 137 in his minor league career, yeah. but, but he's impressed. And now he's getting his opportunity in the bigs, and hopefully it's the start of something. Maybe, maybe not now, maybe next year, maybe the year after, whatever, but – this could be the start of something big for, for Emmett Sheehan because obviously the Dodgers need him right now. Yeah. I mean, again, it, watching his rise through the system has been incredible. And the fact that the Dodgers trust him enough to add him to the 40 man, give him a start tonight and see where it goes. And yeah, Josh, before we wrap this up, just again, this Tulsa drillers rotation, I know we've talked about it a couple of times. There was some tweet the other day. I couldn't find it right now, but they essentially took every major league starting rotation and took their average velocity from every starter. And the Tulsa drillers have a combined number one velocity when it comes to uh, speed on their pitches. I think they're like average is like 99 miles per hour, which would be number one in all of major league baseball. And this is a double a team. <laughs> like this is their double a team. I mean, it's like I said, years down the line. I mean, we're going to look back and go Emmett Sheehan, Kyle Hurt, Landon Knack, River Ryan, Nick Nostrini, Nick Frasso. Uh, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's nuts. So yeah, keep an eye on Emmett Sheehan. He makes his debut tonight. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know what? To, just a shout out Tulsa again, you go down to the Texas league, um, which is, you know, all those teams in Texas, Oklahoma, whatever. They have the number one team ERA in the league. They have the most strikeouts in the league by a lot. They're like middle in the pack in walks. Uh, they lead the league in whip. They have an opposing batting average against at 199. Nobody else in the league is even remotely close to that. Like, it's ridiculous. they're unbelievable, like what they've done this year. Yeah. And like a team ERA at, they have a team ERA of 345. The next closest is 427. And the team after that is 442. <laughs> Like, just not close. Like, they've just been unreal this year um, from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, Josh, I I talk so highly about Sheehan's uh, strikeout rate. That's actually the third best on the drillers. 
because uh, yeah. he's averaging 14.9 strikeouts per nine. They got Ben Harris averaging 15.4, and then Kyle Hurd at the top, 15.6 strikeouts per nine. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's just absolutely ridiculous, these guys. So hopefully they all start getting called up one by one. And again, I, I'd love to see it if by, like, middle of July, on a week-to-week basis, we're getting these guys that are called up and we're just testing them out because, you know, as opposed to trading a top prospect for a reliever at the deadline... Call up Kyle Hurt. Maybe he's a guy that can give you a couple strikeouts. There's some scoreless Indians. Ben Harris, you know, all these guys that we've talked about, Nick Destrini, River Ryan, it, the talent's endless. So it's going to be fun seeing his debut tonight. Hopefully he's rocking number 99 like he's been rocking in Tulsa. And hopefully things work out. And a month from now, the Dodgers rotation is Kershaw, Bobby Miller, Dustin May, Nick, or yeah, Emmett Sheehan, and... Tony Gonsolin and Julio Rios and all these other guys because all of a sudden now your rotation isn't looking too bad. Your bullpen might not be looking too bad as well. So uh, a fun time, Josh. Fun time. Yeah. Yeah. And you you know, it is funny because they have been really good this year too. They're 37 and 23. Um, I believe they're first in their division, but they're second overall in the league. They're just one game out of first place. Uh, their offense is very mediocre in Tulsa. Yeah. Like they don't score a ton of runs. They hit a ton of home runs, but like batting average, OPS, like runs scored, like they're not very impressive at all. It's just the pitching has been that good. Uh, but also, yeah. uh, while we're here, I did happen to look it up, and the Oklahoma City Dodgers are in first place in the PCL uh, at forty-six and nineteen. <laughs> oh man! Uh, the second place team is uh, ten games back. So Jeez. they're nasty as well. Yeah. Every every minor league affiliate has been absolutely ridiculous. So the Dodgers, they keep pumping these guys out. Hopefully they can keep a lot of them because there's a lot of talent coming. But that does wrap up this week's edition of Inside the Ravine. Again, make sure you guys find the show on whatever social media app you guys use at Inside the Ravine. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You guys can also watch the full episodes over on YouTube. And again, we're on any sort of podcast app out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Odyssey app. Any, you know whatever other apps are out there. We don't know. There might be some random one we're forgetting, but there's something out there. Josh, before we part for the week, any uh, final thoughts, final words? Uh, Great Lakes is also in first place. (laughs) It's ridiculous, man. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, 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 come on. Can we also just, (laughs) one final thing, just appreciate the fact that the Dodgers have two top 100 prospects that they got in exchange for Matt Beatty and Mitchell White. (laughs) <laughs> because that's exactly yeah. what happened yes it is uh cue jesse pinkman he can't keep getting away with this because andrew friedman you cannot keep getting away with this but for josh schaefer this has been blake harris thank you guys so much for listening we really do appreciate it and as always enjoy the rest of your week wherever you may be okay picture this It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.